Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be reviewing the new spinoff from the Ocean's Eleven franchise, Ocean's Eight, the sort of John Wick knockoff by Drew Pierce, Hotel Artemis, and the latest release from A24 Studios, Hereditary. Let's get started. Ocean's Eight. What's happening? Oh. Can't get a signal. Wait, 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 wait. Every time you, you move it, it, they have to start from scratch. Do- what did you, what you do? do? I turn it on. Oh. oh. My party. Rated PG-13. My Only in theaters June 8th. I actually didn't get a chance to re-watch the uh, other Oceans movies this weekend. I just had too much going on, and it completely slipped my mind. But uh, I remember little bits and pieces. I never got into the Oceans franchise. I, as, of all of Soderbergh's films, those were some of my least favorite. Not that they were bad, but they just didn't appeal to me. And so that's kind of part of the reason, on top of me wanting to see these women just go off and do their own thing. They didn't need to be tied in with Danny Ocean's nonsense. But... Uh, for all intents and purposes, they man- they handle that all right. I'll get into that. Uh, the basic premise here is uh, Danny Ocean's sister, Debbie Ocean, uh, played by Sandra Bullock, uh, gets out of prison after a hi- after one of her heists goes wrong, and has been planning a revenge heist in return. I guess it's not a heist, but a a, a, a deal like a, a like a like a con. A long, a long con, uh, and she wants revenge on the guy who put her in, as well as pulling off a really great heist. And so she gets a crew together, starting with her closest friend, played by Kate Blanchett, uh, and then a group of all new girls, unrelated to each other, with Mindy Kaling as a jeweler, uh, Aquafina, I guess a YouTuber, Aquafina. That's how I. That's how people know her. I. This is my first time seeing her. This is going to be this and um, the upcoming Crazy Rich Asians is going to be the only time I've ever seen anything featuring her. So, um, but she's all right. Uh, Rihanna as a hacker, of course. And uh, Sarah Paulson as a fencer, who is, I guess, the person in the heist that gets all the materials that is able to run the money Launder the money, I guess. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not familiar. I, I'm not familiar enough with cons to uh, know that sort of thing. Now you may count that up. Let's see: Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Rihanna, Mindy Kaling, Aquafina, Sarah Paulson. I'm missing someone. Um, Sarah, Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Sarah Paulson, uh, Mindy Kaling. Rihanna, Aquafina. Who was the other girl? There were there are two others. Um, I've only I only saw it Thursday. How am I forgetting? What is wrong with my brain? My memory, it's gone. I'm only thirty. Um, Kaling. Sarah Paulson, Aquafina, Rihanna, Helena Bonham Carter. Right, I, I completely forgot her. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter plays an Irish uh, designer, uh, fashion designer, who gets roped in to help um, 
become be like their inside woman in getting this really expensive necklace. Now you may be counting. Well, let's only let's see: Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Rihanna, Mindy Kaling, Sarah Paulson, Aquafina, Helena Bonham Carter. That's only seven. Well, the eighth is actually their kind of their mark, uh, and that's played by and that's an actress played by Anne Hathaway, who is roped in uh, by you know by you know who is kind of used as their mark to wear the necklace in order to for the heist to happen. And so those eight are the ones that are not only going uh, that are, that are going to pull off this whole thing and. Like I, like I said, uh, leading up to this with all the trailers, it looks fun, but I, you know, the, I didn't need it to be an Oceans movie. And the fact that Soderbergh isn't directing is kind of noticeable because it's definitely trying to ape Soderbergh, but while not being Soderbergh. And it's definitely trying to mimic the last, those three Oceans movies so it appears to be in the same universe. And it's fine. Like if if you're into that style, you won't really notice it, but you can. It's definitely something that it, it definitely feels like a corporatization of the oceans aesthetic, so to speak. And nothing against Gary Ross, the director. He did he did he did a good movie. It's just it definitely feels like a, a franchisee sort of thing, you know. And I think that's kind of why I'm not into it too much because the actresses are fought are good. But along with the because, but the Ocean's franchise has always been very shallow, very much a. Um, I think it was Corey Coleman on Double Toast who described it as sort of the rich person's Adam Sandler Happy Madison thing, where it's like, hey, let's get our buddies together and make a movie. And apparently, that went all the way back to the original with the Rat Pack involvement, you know, the, you know, the one from the '60s, and. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel quite like that because these are it's, it's a little bit more diverse. Like I don't see this cast hanging out together of their own accord. I feel like they definitely feel like they were cast together, but they you know they work well off of each other for the most part. But at the same time, their characters aren't all that in you know you know, well written or in depth. Um, but you know that it's not meant to be a really thinker. It's a it's a block. It's a reason. There's a reason it's being released in the summer. It is, for all intents and purposes, a summer movie. Very shallow characters. Very light uh, plot, and all about style. Instead of explosions and action scenes, it's about the sleight of hand and things going for the other. It's the long game. It's a con and. So, if you, I mean, if you're into the Oceans franchise at all, this is perfectly fine. This is a perfectly good entry into the franchise. It's just I never cared about this franchise, like, at all. Nothing about this franchise interested me in the slightest. And while this is a good movie, and I'm glad that we got a great female-led movie uh, this summer, and I think that we need more of that... I on you know that alone isn't going to make me enjoy the movie, and I th- and so I'll probably never revisit this unless there's another Ocean's movie that comes out and I have to revisit the series. They do leave some op- like I won't say what they do with Danny Ocean to explain where he is during the course of the movie, 
But it definitely, they definitely play around with, eh, well, if this, hey, if this does well, maybe, yes, no, how you feeling? So, I mean, they play around with ideas for what they would do if this does well enough to warrant a sequel. But we'll see. Overall, honestly, like, if, if, you're, into, if you're into something that's a, a summer movie in mentality, but not so much... In act in like action fight sequences CGI, then it's a, this is perfectly fine. You you won't you. This isn't a terrible movie. It's just a little above average. So, I mean that's better than I mean that's better than terrible. I guess. Am I gonna make it out of here? We can do it together. This is what I do. Visiting hours are never. Busy night at the Artemis. You know, you might want to buy some scented candles or something, because it smells like somebody died in here. They did. I don't mean to make Hotel Artemis sound bad for by referring to it as a knockoff. Like, that's the thing. Oreos were a knockoff of Hydrox, and yet Oreos are the ones people remember. So that's the thing. Knockoffs can be perfectly good products. They just took something that somebody else did and di- and did it with their own, you know, ingredients. And so that's what screenwriter Drew Pierce has done in his directorial debut. Now, for those who don't know, Drew Pierce has been mainly working on all, like he has his name attached to all kinds of uh, blockbuster material, like. He's he's one of the writers on Iron Man three, uh, one of the writers on uh, Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation. What else we got? He is the creator of he's the executive producer and the creator of a of a British show called No Heroics. He's tied to a bunch of the like he's also tied to the uh, Marvel one shot All Hail the King spinoff from Iron Man three. He's, he's uh, uncredited for the Lego's Avengers stuff because they use the parts from the movie. He's tied to the next Sherlock Holmes movie with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Ghostbusters. So this guy um, has been around for a, for a little while. And this is his first, like, di- you know, this is his directorial debut as well as having written it. Before this, he's mainly done little short films, something called The Committee. Uh, he's done two, two episodes of that featuring Alison Brie. And now, and so this is his chance to really expand and showcase him, himself as not only a screenwriter, but also a director. And he's done this with a, by basically mirroring what, um, I you'd think as much as I commend John Wick for revitalizing the action genre, I would remember the guys behind it. Chad Stahelski and David Leach. Yeah, David Leach who went on to do Deadpool and uh, Stahelski who, um, yeah, Leach did Atomic Blonde and Deadpool and Stahelski continued on the John Wick series as well as... um, that's just his stunt work. Where's his director credits? He's Ted. 
Um, yeah, he's continuing the John Wick series. He's also going to be... He's also been announced to an attached to the Highlander remake, which, hey, I'm good with that. This guy's proven himself with the John Wick series. Why not? Um, and so Drew Pierce has kind of mirrored what those what the Helsky and Leach did with John Wick in this sort of, you know, seedy underbelly of crime sort of story. Here, it's the... Near, it's the, it's the year 2028, 2038, 2028, 2038. Let me double check. It's the, it's the not too distant future. In the not too distant future. Next Sunday AD. No, it's, um, uh, yeah, near future. I believe it was 20, it must be, tw- yeah, it was 2028. Because they said she's been in it for 22 years and the year went back to 2006, essentially, with the math. So 2028, uh, so 10 years in the, in the, in the future, no flying cars, nothing like that. But it's, but like mostly iPad technology, it is advanced and it's, and at the same time, Pierce has managed to make the future seem grungy and dirty, kind of like how uh, Lucas did with that first Star Wars movie where everything felt lived in. This felt like a retrofitted old hotel being, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was made, that was updated with all kinds of future um, technology to kind of upgrade it, but still maintains its old school sort of aesthetic. Very retro, what he's going for here. And what basically happens is Sterling K. Brown stars as uh, his, his code name is Waikiki. We never learn his actual name. Uh, but Sterling K. Brown, for those who don't know, is Randall Pearson in This Is Us. And he, he plays this bank robber whose brother gets shot and he brings in the brother to the Hotel Artemis, who only goes by code names. It's very... Definitely feels inspired by whatever it's called in John Wick. What is that organization called? The, like the the one that um, uh, Ian Mac, Ian Holt, Ian McShane. I want to say McShane. Ian McShane. I was right. Um, the one that he runs. What is it called? Uh. What is that organization called? Where is it? Uh, let's go to chapter two. Probably give us more information there. Continental. Yeah, this is hotel. The hotel Artemis is like if the Continental was the, was a hospital, not a hotel. So, um, Jodie Foster plays the head nurse there with Dave Bautista as her only help. And she is helping these criminals uh, to help recover from their wounds while, while they've been committing crimes. So you've got Charlie Day as an arms dealer who got his eye, who nearly lost his eye to, I think, an acid attack or something. And you've got Sophia Butella, who was Gazelle in the first... Um, Kingsman movie, and last I saw, I believe, was um, uh, Atomic Blonde. Plus, she was also the mummy, the female mummy, Aminette in The Mummy, and she was Jayla, in the the lead alien in Star Trek Beyond. So she's been making the rounds. She's in that Fahrenheit 451 
uh, movie as the it looks like as the um, what's her name role uh, Julie Christie role of Clarice was is that who Julie Christie played yeah uh, so um, but technically Cl- uh, uh, Julie Christie played both the young girl and uh, Montag's wife uh, but uh, here it's two separate actresses, and Sophia Batella is Clarice in the new Fahrenheit 51, which I still need to see. Apparently she was also in the Monster sequel. So this girl starts off as a dancer because she was in uh, Street Dance 2 and a couple of music videos, and then I saw her first in Kingsman, and then she's kind of been a go-to stunt woman action hero in... In Hollywood, which is great because I think she I think she's amazing, um, but she plays an assassin in this who had who was shot in the arm uh, during a during one of her uh, uh, hits, and then you've also got I think those are the big ones. You got Brian Tyree Henry as Sterling K. Brown's brother. Uh, he is Alfred Paperboy in Atlanta. And also on This Is Us as Ricky, and then Tavis Brown and Vice Principals. Also Scrapper and Boardwalk Empire. Uh, then you've got then you got appearances by Jenny Slate, who plays somebody connected uh, to um, to Jodie Foster's past, as well as uh, Zachary Quinto coming in as the as the as this hot-headed son of a crime boss with Jeff Goldblum appearing I won't say who I uh but yeah he plays a big wig who comes in to to for uh a spe- for a code red sort of assistance and I will say it does feel light I feel like this could have gone for 20 more minutes this is a solid this is a quick 90 minute movie I feel like it could have spent a little more time developing its characters. This could have gone for a min- an hour 45, I think, without feeling too... Or maybe an hour 40, without feeling too uh, rushed. And, but what we got was a solid B-movie, sort of a midnight m- movie. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's an action movie. It's, it's, the action kicks in in the second half more than the first. The first is mainly set up. Although you do, it does open up with the bank robbery as well as the, as well as emphasizing that the, that the water in California has been privatized. There's riots in the street. Um, and the, and the, and there's, and the people who run the power, the corporation that runs the power has been instilling, uh, 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 curfews by shutting down access to the power grid. And so the hotel Artemis is kind of hold, trying to hold it together in the midst of all this chaos. And I will say probably the weakest link of the movie is Charlie Day. I feel like he's still trying to find who he is outside of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Because he's so well known for that role that seeing him, it's hard to see him as something else. But he does alright. But even then, he does alright here. Jenny Slade is, is solid for, well, for a while she's on there. Dave Bautista is great. I love him in this. Uh, Zachary Quinto has, has a great time chewing up the scenery. Sterling K. Brown is solid, as is Sophia Patella. And then Jodie Foster just carries the movie on her shoulders. Like, um, like the bottom half of, what's his name from, from I think, Beyond Thunderdome. Um, Master Blaster. 
Like, the movie is the top half of Master Blaster. Jodie Foster is the guy carrying it. And Jeff Goldblum is solid for a while, you know, for when he's in there. But it's more of, like, a featuring credit, really, more than anything, sadly. But, but, and I get that, because it's hard to keep Jeff Goldblum on if you can't afford him. But he's worth it on the script for however long he's on screen. And, yeah, I think that's about it. It's just... It's a solid Grindhouse-style movie. It's quick. It's in and out. Uh, I would say maybe see it at a matinee price if you can't do it like a full-on like midnight screening at a bar or something like that. Uh, maybe get with your friends and see it when it comes out on, on streaming and DVD. Because uh, it's, it's, it's definitely fun. If you get the chance, if you're into John Wick-style movies, it's not as good as the John Wick movies or even David Leach's movies. But it's it's a solid entry. It's a solid first attempt from Drew Pierce. And I'm interested to see how he follows it up. Um, I'm interested to see what he does next as a director. If this allows him to go continue in that field. Or if he'll just stick... Maybe he'll just stick with being a screenwriter. And this was just him trying to spread his wings a little. We'll see. But yeah. it, it I liked it. I liked Hotel Artemis. You know, it's not great. It's not perfect. But I had fun. And that's all that's important. Sorry, I recognize you from your mother. How is your relationship with your daughter? What? Peter? Charlie? Are you okay? Charlie? Please stop. Charlie! Charlie? John! Please stop. Now, if you've heard about this movie at all, it's probably in the same vein you heard about things like It Follows, Get Out, A Quiet Place. This is the scariest movie ever made. And I will say that honor still kind of goes to The Exorcist. I think, honestly, The Exorcist is hard to be topped because it was so, it got in that early. And everything else is just p- trying to play catch up to it. Um, this is a solid movie, though. This is from newcomer Ari Aster. This is his first uh, feature. De- this is his feature debut. And the premise here, without giving too much away, is definitely in the vein of an old sort of supernatural, paranormal sort of thing. Like it, it, del- it tackles into spiritualism, but it's a lot of focus on mental health as well because Tony Collette opens up the movie talking about how her mom, her family history has like schizophrenia and, and dissociative identity disorder and dementia and all kinds of mental psychoses and disorders. And so it's hard to tell what's, what's paranormal and what's all in their heads because it's because it's crazy to think about. And I, I will say it's not as scary as it thinks it is. But it's definitely a well-made movie. And I feel like people are playing it up because it, 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 they liked it or it got them. But I don't think it's as scary. It's, it's more unsettling than it is outright scary. I see a scary movie as, as like The Exorcist, as Rosemary's Baby sort of thing. 
And it's definitely going for that similar aesthetic, but it's a slower burn. It's more, it gets creepier and unsettling. And it's, it's, it's a gut-wrenching film, too. Um, though I'll say this, without giving too much away, there's a, there, there's a dinner scene where uh, Alex Wolf of the Naked Brothers Band fame, brother to Nat Wolf, who has appeared in, uh, I be- who was, I believe, the lead in Paper Town, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Paper Towns by um, John Green, uh, as well as Isaac in The Fall of Our Stars and Light Turner in Death Note. Alex Wolf is, has kind of gone... Alex Wolf is, um, uh, is better known for playing uh, Jokar Sarnayev in Patriot's Day. And then he was also uh, Spencer in the new in that recent uh, Jumanji sequel, and so this is he plays the older brother to a little girl who's a newcomer named, um, what is um, it's uh, Millie Shapiro, and I mentioned her before. She's she's a cute girl. She's um, I couldn't tell how old she is. Her character is thirteen in the movie, but I couldn't tell but it doesn't her bio never officially says uh like a birthday or something like that um but this is her first she's been a broadway actress and a non a theatrical actress before this um i'm gonna see if wikipedia says anything um does not display her at her um birthday either not even her birthday just just nothing you know, like she came and I get and I get why creeps are out there all the time. But um But she is she is made she's definitely made to look more um unsettling in the movie. And she like they make her make give her like pot marks and these her eyes look like they're sunken in to her skull and she you know, she looks very she looks like she she's the she has that aesthetic of like is something wrong with her is she okay especially since she has a tick uh where she, and you heard kind of heard it in that little clip I played before where she goes it's like a you know it's that don't specifically say if what condition she has where she has that tick if it's like a Tourette's or if it's like um maybe maybe some maybe she's on the autism spectrum. Uh, they don't spe- go into specifics. It's just a more. It's just an idea of she's a nebulous sort of undiagnosed um, c- condition, and you know it doesn't help that she, while her mom does miniatures, paints miniatures as an art piece, and as he, and as work, and during the course of the movie, is actually supposed to be working towards a gallery opening. Uh, the daughter makes st- draws these sort of unsettling pictures in her notebook as well as makes these really weird doll weird and unsettling dolls uh, that that are made out of junk and scrap and it's definitely feels like uh, that, that's cool that you have that you have a creative outlet but like it looks like one of the dolls is going to be made with a dead pigeon's head that you cuts off which you see in the trailer and it's like okay Honey, I I I love you, but can we can we not like can we can we do something else? But yeah, during the course of the movie, it the this family's life spirals out of control, and eventually it, it eventually uh, Tony Collette kind of has a mental breakdown, uh, and it ties into and then eventually it starts to tie into 
the kind of these like what her mom was doing that she didn't know about and what's been what's and like this new friend that she meets that and how and any sort of connection that they might have and then the last 20 minutes are just complete and utter full-on 60s 70s uh paranormal horror almost like a giallo if it was it's like a muted giallo movie um it's very it's very reminiscent of kind of what the uh, what the witch was going for or the the witch based on their uh font choice but i will say it's not i think a quiet place is a much better put together horror movie but i like that hereditary i like that i i'm glad that i saw hereditary it's a very it's what I look for in horror films. It's what I want out of horror film. The idea that you play into your your own mental state. Like by tying into the idea of what's real, what's not, is something supernatural or is it all just in somebody's head. They kind of go more one way than the other, but I I like going with that idea. I think that's a thing that more, so more horror movies need to do. And I mean, there is a bit of a full-on, like, horror tropey scene towards the end in the climax. But for the most part, it's a Tony, Coll- Tony Collette slowly spiraling into insanity along with the rest of her family. And you begin to see uh, Gabriel Byrne, who plays her husband, begin to unravel himself as he sees his wife kind of almost, almost give in to her own, you know, like, her family's illnesses. Like, you almost wonder what all, how, what, you know, what, yeah, that's what brings up the question, you know, which is what the title's based on. How much of this is all passed down through genetics and how, and what all, and what is really going on with this family? What has happened to them? And I think it's a neat little throwback film. It's definitely in the same vein as, like, a Rosemary's Baby or, or like um, um, the Love Witch, which I saw that uh, Cal Calgren recommended. I wouldn't. I'm probably gonna. I wouldn't. I would not be surprised if um, either he did a vlog about this with Jordan, or if he did a full-on brows held high about this sort of movie, in reference to other movies like Rosemary's Baby and that sort of '70s paranormal uh, supernatural aesthetic. Uh if you're into creepy horror movies uh, and you want something a little headier, then this is for you. I don't think it's the the scariest thing ever made. You know that that's a that's a really high watermark to try and cross, but it definitely it's definitely a solid horror film, and I, and I'm glad that we're seeing this sort of steady, well thought out horror horror movies coming into existence, and there's been a stream of these. In the last couple of years, and I and I'm digging that, and I'm glad we're having that resurgence in horror. So, with that being said, after this break, we're going to be talking about the people behind Hereditary, or at least the distributors or producers. A24. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films? Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, A Good Ghoul's Guide to Horror. Oh! On the gun, we can't have it. Don't read the Latin. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth 
If you've been following me at all, you'll probably know that um, I, A24 is one of my go-to uh, studios. They're the ones that whenever there's a new release coming from them, I get all giddy and excited. And I decided to finally look into who is behind this studio and how they became like this, this such well-regarded uh, distributor and this, this, this such an iconic name in independent film. And so what I found is this. A24 was founded officially in 2012 by Daniel Katz, David Fenkel, and John Hodges. Daniel Katz was uh, formerly in charge of the investment firm Guggenheim Partners. And they're the people who helped to finance things like the social network, Zombieland, and and the Twilight franchise. So this guy has been in the film end, but as a financier more than a full-on producer. David Fenkel was the former president of Oscilloscope Laboratories, uh, which is uh, another film distributor. And he left just after the deaths of Beastie Boy uh, Adam Yauch, um, who I, th- I forget what he, who he was in the Beastie Boys off the top of my head. I'm not um, MCA. So, yeah, he was MCA in the Beastie Boys, died tragically. Not too long, uh, about that time, 2012 or so. And he, Yout was the founder of Oscilloscope. Um, and they had, have, they've, you know, released such films as, holy cow, I don't know any of these. Um, yeah, I have no, let's go to the beginning. Maybe I know some of their early works. Uh, Dear Zachary, a letter to a son about his father, which was a very tragic and well-regarded uh, um, documentary about suicide, uh, beautiful losers, the messenger. Okay, I seen that. I know that one. That's the one with Woody Harrelson, um, and I forget who Ben Foster. Where they, where the they're the um, they're the soldiers that go around delivering the letters to widows and uh, you know the the next of kin for deceased soldiers. Um, the Garden, Scott Walker, Thirty Century Man, Trillis Mountain, uh, Le, Le Pin dans le Coeur, Le Coeur, uh, some French documentary, Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. I know that one, where it's a Finnish uh, horror movie uh, where they find a killer Santa Claus. Exit through the gift shop, uh, the direct the the documentary about Banksy, uh, Howl, which was the uh, I think. Was it James Franco? Yeah, James Franco, uh, he played Allen Ginsberg. Um, so Oscilloscope has been tied to a lot of indie films. The other F word, which is about um, fatherhood in the punk community and in like hardcore rock communities. Uh, 28 Hotel Rooms, Samsara. Samsara? A lot of documentaries. Uh, they did a, a Wuthering Heights remake from the UK in 2012. Uh Metro Manila. A lot of documentaries. Oscilloscope uh, is mainly about documentaries. It's a Disaster, which is about that brunch 
uh, that gets uh, caught in the middle of a dirty bomb. It had uh, David Cross, uh, America Ferreira. Oh, who all was in that? Um, Julia Stiles was in it. I think those are the big names. Uh, Rachel Boston, Todd Berger, Aaron Hayes, Jeff Grace. So it was a little indie comedy from a while, from uh, 2013, it looks like. Um, but yeah, it's oh, Soloscope seems to be mainly... Uh, documentaries and foreign films. So that's kind of where, uh, oh, oddly enough, they did the aforementioned Love Witch. So they were they, they were a distributor behind that film or, or maybe a producer. Uh, but yeah, so Oscilloscope was behind them and David Fenkel uh, went on. That's kind of where David Fenkel came into this. So he was very involved in the indie scene uh, before founding A24. And then John Hodges was the head of production and development at Big Beach, which is the production company that made Little Miss Sunshine. So these are all kind of guys involved in the film world in one way or another. Um, Daniel Katz is a financier. Uh, Fenkel was part of Oscilloscope and um, also Think Film. He was a executive, former executive there, which is a distribution company, uh, division of David Bergstein's Capital Films. Uh, Air I Breathe... Ten items or less. So this guy's been involved with... Uh, he was involved... He, that 2005 Zodiac killer movie. Not the one... Not the 2006 one by David Fincher. Something... Uh, 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 something that was made just before then to capitalize on that one. Uh, My Brother is an Only Child. Apparently they went bankrupt in 2009. They haven't made anything since. Um... Forced into Chapter 11 bankruptcy in 2010. Uh, but yeah, uh, so Think Film. So that, that so he went from Think Film to Oscilloscope. And then after Yauch died, uh, then he left th- uh, Oscilloscope to help found A24. That Finkel did. And... Yeah, uh, and then Hodges was behind was behind another. Uh, produ- he was the head of production for another small independent studio. What else has Big Beach done? I know uh, Big Beach's claim to fame. What biggest claim to fame seems to be uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, they're also behind Everything Is Illuminated, which is an adaptation of the, uh, I believe of the, isn't it based on the. Okay, by Jonathan Saffron Foer, Foer, F-O-E-R. Um, but that was the one with Liev Schreiber, directed by Liev Schreiber. I'll have to check that out. But it stars um, Elijah Wood in the, as, um, uh, it's, apparently it's like a coming of age thing where he looks into uh, a woman who helped save his grandfather during the Holocaust. Um is anybody there? Sunshine Cleaning is another one I know. Uh, that was Amy Adams and Emily Blunt back in the day. Um, our idiot brother, I know. Safety not guaranteed by the Duplass brothers. I know that. So this is so they kind of they have a bunch of stuff, but they're main. They're definitely a, a big beach is definitely their biggest claim to fame is definitely Little Miss Sunshine. Like I don't know a lot of people who would know Safety Not Guaranteed or Me Him Her, who apparently has no director. No co-producer. Okay, this is just by them. Um, 
that was the film by Max Landis a couple of years ago. And then this year they got one coming out in a couple of months called Puzzle, uh, directed by Mark Turtletop. So they're still in business, but their biggest claim to fame is still Little Miss Sunshine, which they only co-produced with a bunch of other people. I think their biggest solo production is probably what? Let me see. Let's take a look at the budget. Uh, the box office is... Um... No, they're all their solo stuff. I think everything is illuminated. Is their only one they solo produced that made over a million dollars? Everything else that they made, everything else um, that made over a million dollars was co-produced by somebody else. Uh, but yeah, they've had their 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 finger in a pot in a lot of indie indie darlings pies, uh, so to speak. But yeah, uh, that's that's who uh, John Hodges is. Uh, not to be confused with John Hodgman of, um, of of the Maximum Fun Network. Completely different guy. Uh, so the idea behind A24, the reason these three guys got together was to build a studio from the ground up that could market through social media. Honestly, that's, that's the main reason behind the founding of a new studio. These guys were parts of major, big-name studios that came prior to the invention of social media. Oscilloscope was founded, I think, 2008. Uh, Big Beach was also 2007 or so. Oh, 2004 was when uh, Big Beach was founded. Uh, all these guys couldn't market, mo- could only market movies easily through um, the old method of marketing. And they saw social media was on the rise in 2012, and they decided, well, the best way to capitalize on this is to start a new studio so that you can build the, the marketing push from the ground up through social media rather than the, using the old methods. And so they founded A24 with that in mind. However, they also wanted to provide mid-tier budget films, which is more than $10 million, but less than $100 million dollars. If it's more than $100 million, it's closer to a full-on blockbuster. But a mid, but if it's, but these guys will make anything from a $1 million film to probably like a 50, like, let's take a look at A24's product, uh, movies. Their filmography, as it were, and see, uh, that's their box office gross. Where's the budgets? Is there a way to look at the budgets? Let me try the numbers. The numbers is usually good on this. Total gross, inflation adjusted gross. Why are we not giving the uh production budget stuff? I need the pr- I need the budget, guys. I guess they just since they're distributors, they don't uh head the uh production end of it. But yeah, so their main thing is um, is distribution more than full-on production. Uh, so I'll get, get, probably going to have to go into this um, one by one. Let's take a look. Uh, Enemy was one of their big ones. That was a early Denis Villeneuve uh, uh, movie with... Um, Jake Gyllenhaal, and it doesn't even have a budget listed. So that's fun. Isn't that fun when my job is made that much harder? So yeah, the, but these are all low-level 
uh, independent films that they they've uh, hardly grossed. Most of them struggle to gross over a million dollars, though a lot of, they've since kind of and some of them only don't even gross over a million dollars. Some only gross in the thousands, but a couple of them are real big name successes. Like their biggest success is probably what? Oh, well, Lady Bird was their biggest success. The numbers had that. Lady Bird raked in, and that's forty-eight million dollars. Lady, which Lady Bird? Can I get? Can I get a production? Can I get a production? Production budget. There we go. Ten million dollars to make. But I don't think. Uh, I think A twenty-four is the distributor, not the uh, producers behind that. But yeah. Lady Bird is their big one. Moonlight, Ex Machina, The Witch, The Disaster Artist. Their first real success was Spring Breakers, which brought in uh, overall fifth, uh, $14 million adjusted to 15 thanks to inflation. The Room made about as much. Uh, the Room is about that big. That big. They really, like, most of their movies do at least break in a million dollars. But, um, yeah, it's, like, a, a bunch of them are, have trouble breaking, breaking bigger than that. Like, Life After Beth, the one where, uh, they produced that, they distributed that, which is the one where, um, why can't I remember her name? Uh, Aubrey Plaza and Ding Dahan are a couple and Aubrey Plaza dies and comes back as a zombie. I still, I never got a chance to see that. Uh, they also released Tusk, which is one of my least favorite movies that I've ever seen. Uh, Revenge of the Green Dragons, which I don't remember. A Most Violent Year, which I don't think anybody saw. Uh, barely Lethal, which barely raked in 4000 which is, a, I think, a directed DVD movie starring Lindsay Lohan, it looks like. Cast and crew. Haley Steinfeld, Jessica Alba, and Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, goody. And yeah, it's a, it looks like a direct-to-DVD movie. No wonder I've never heard of it. Um, oh, there's, like, they did The Lobster, which was a big hit for Amazon. Uh, and, was, and got a bit, bit of an Oscar push. Green Room, which is one of my favorite movies. Uh, which was the one about the, the punks who, who, who ended up performing at a Nazi... Uh, run bar up in the up in up in like the Oregon area and have to survive the night and the and the head of the Nazis there is Patrick Stewart. Uh Swiss Army Man, another one of my favorite movies. That's the one where da- um uh Paul Dano is uh stranded with uh Danny Daniel uh Radcliffe's corpse and he and you can't and it, it doesn't spe- and, and he basically Imagines it to have life and have all these amazing powers. Um, sea of Trees, which is about the uh, suicide forest in Japan. The Aokigahara uh, Forest. American Honey, which was, I believe, a... Which is the one about uh, with, with Shia LaBeouf. Some hipster coming-of-age thing. 20th Century Women, which got a big uh, Oscar push last year. Free Fire, which I liked. Um, it Comes at Night, which is another one of those horror movies. That got that big push of ooh, it's so scary, and people weren't impressed. Good time, which got it, which is another uh, dar- uh, indie darling from last year that people loved. That's the one where um, uh, Rob Robert Pattinson 
is this down on his luck bank robber who's trying to help his, get his brother out of prison, or uh, I at least think jail, not prison. But yeah, uh, I know people really liked that, and I I still miss I missed that one, so I'll have to go back and find, check it out at some point. A lot of a lot of small. That's the thing. A twenty four is definitely. I don't think any of these movies cost more than fifty dollars. They couldn't have cost more than twenty million dollars to make. I think ten million is kind of their their sweet spot. Like, let's take a look at Room. That was a that was one of their big. That was a big one uh, for them critically, and it cost them thirteen million dollars to make. Yeah, so. It didn't. It didn't bring bring back money like Ladybird did, but it definitely. But it was um, a big win for them uh, critically because it got them an Oscar. Uh, Ex Machina was another one. Cost thirteen million dollars to make, brought in twenty five million. So it was financially successful to a point, all things considered. But it it also was a big win for them critically and in the realm of. Um, in the realm, you know, in the realm of Hollywood, and got them big points there. Disaster Artist, another one of their big, uh, big uh, critical darlings. Uh, doesn't I'm not seeing a production budget, sadly, for the Disaster Artist. I can't imagine it's more, much more than than twenty million dollars. Though once again, and then even this one, Hereditary, uh, only cost ten million dollars to make. And it looks like it already made back its budget, which I'll get into during the box office breakdown uh, report thing. Box office breakdown, I think, is what Double Toasted does. So yeah, these guys, these guys have managed to tap into. Oh, there's another one, The Witch, forty million dollars on a budget of four. So they, so once again, these guys aren't as aren't as cheap as Blumhouse. They're willing to spend a little bit more, but they are, but they do. But the, you know, but every one of their movies has this has a great sort of retro aesthetic, or can have like this solid indie aesthetic. So, like Florida Project was another one of those uh, that got a big Oscar push last year. Cost two million two million dollars to make. So, I mean, these guys are have no problem distributing these really low budget indie indie films, but they look for things that have this have this aesthetic to them that they're weird and out there and they don't mind being sort of quirky so to speak uh let, let me get into more of their history so yeah um they definitely wanted movies with a message or a deeper meaning behind like these guys produced the uh distributed the amy winehouse documentary uh a little bit after her death so that's the kind of stuff that they like to go for the only i think their worst thing uh, depending on, I think, and just an overall, I think their worst thing is probably Barely Lethal, which seems like a full-on direct-to-video schlock fest. Uh, but I have I have to see it for myself. Tusk is probably the worst thing of theirs that I've seen. Haven't seen The Bling Ring. Haven't seen things like uh, Ginger and Rosa. Although that looks like one of those, that just looks so, uh, like a, one of those indie darlings sort of things. Uh, Spring Breakers was their big hit, though, with... Uh, Trash Humpers director Harmony Corrine. And if you don't know about that, Kyle Calgren of Browls How High did a review of Trash Humpers. I don't know if he went on to review Spring Breakers, though. I think he did. Because that's that that's Harmony Corrine is a full-on like gonzo style um 
uh, indie indie maker. Although he's best known for writing that movie, the the '90s movie where every all the kids had AIDS. Kids. So yeah, that's who Harmony Korine is. He's uh he's out there. Uh, they also tied. They also distributed that uh that one that uh 2013 movie where uh, Tom Hardy was the main star of it all, and he it was just him driving around the city talking to people. Uh, it was called Locke, L-O-C-K-E, and he's the main. He's the only character you really see on the screen. It's him, kind of in the drama that's built around him talking to all these people. I think the only other person you see is um, Tom Holland's in it. Uh, did. Okay, this isn't the one with um there there was a one of the last movies of James Gandolfini, I think, had Tom Hardy in it. I think I'm confusing that with this one. Um was his last one? The drop, that's what it was. Uh that Tom Hardy. That's another that's the one I was thinking of. So yeah, that was a little bit after. That was 2014. Locke was before that. Um, yeah, so that's the kind of stuff A24 is known for. It's it's a lot of indie darlings. They they, they cater to, you know, some, favorite, some favorites like Denis Villeneuve. Um, Roman Coppola was... They, they released... Um, they, their first release was one of his movies. Roman Coppola being the son of... A son? How is he related? Uh, son of uh, Eleanor and Francis Ford Coppola. And then, of course, Sofia Coppola, uh, his sister, directed The Bling Ring, which they released. Um, I know um, Kevin Smith, uh, who did Tusk. A lot of first-timers, I think. I'm not, no- I'm not, notice- I'm not recognizing a lot of these names. Um, I know Ari Aster was definitely a first-timer. Gus Van Sant directed Sea of Trees. Gus Van Sant, best known for Goodwill Hunting, I believe. Uh, Milk, Goodwill Hunting. And then Elephant, which I know people like, which I know uh, is very well regarded. Any, anybody else that people might recognize? Softy Brothers? They did a good time. Uh, Greta Gerwig, uh, Lady Bird. Uh, James Franco, Disaster Artist. Those were kind of their early... You know, their early Early uh, director, director, directing gigs, you know, new ones that they, I think it was Greta Gerwig's second feature film and James Franco's like third or something. What did he uh, direct? Filmography, film director. He, okay, he started directing in 2005. So this is, he's been a director for a long while now. Or is that producer? No, director. Uh, so he's been directing for a while now. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that probably people haven't heard of. Like, he did an adaptation of The Sound and the Fury by uh, William Faulkner. So, I mean, he's he's been a lot, it's a lot of indie stuff. Apparently he's got a bunch of stuff coming out uh, this year as a director. I've never, Arctic Justice Thunder Squad, but that's a... That's a voice he's playing. Um, the Long Home indie drama, Future World, uh, sci-fi action western. So he's been he. So apparently he's been getting into a lot of the uh, 
he he's been directing a lot longer than I thought. So I guess I just don't see him as a director because so many of his directing directed movies never really get uh, distribution. Besides, like I think The Disaster Artist is probably his widest distributed directing directed film. Uh, let's see. Ooh, that looks interesting. Brian Bertino starring Zoe Kazan. Direct to Z, direct TV cinema, so that's why I never saw it. A bunch of these, so a bunch of these were released direct like that, direct to video and direct to TV. Direct TV. I know well, that Leatherface movie was also released straight to direct TV. Father's uh, house it turns. It's his turn for custody. Tired of taking care of her abusive alcoholic mother. Father permanently. Kathy hits a wolf with her car. Huh. Okay, that's interesting. That's a check. I want to check that out at some point. I wonder where the DirecTV stuff gets uh, gets gets sent afterwards. Moonlight, obviously. Uh, Barry, how how long's been Barry Jenkins been directing? Uh, looks like that was his second second film. Uh, yeah, second film. His last one before that was two thousand eight. And then he was the director for the TV series uh, for the for an ep- he directed an episode of Dear White People for Netflix. So that was his. So they focus a lot on early directors, new directors, and uh, like I said, Ari Aster is um, this is his first film. Bo Burnham's second film is being released. The comedian Bo Burnham has directed two films now. Uh, his next one, Eighth Grade, is going to be released this summer. Um, and then you got Jonah Hill, I think, making his directorial debut, if I'm not mistaken. Let me pull up his filmography to be sure. He may have been like a. He may have been like he may have just been like um. What is it? Uh, James Franco, who uh, only uh, who's only you know who's been directing. Uh, okay, yeah, here we go. He directed a music video for Danny Brown. Ooh, neat. He directed a Danny... I'll have to check that out. Oh, he directed the Ain't It Funny video. Okay. Okay. I did not know that. Uh, yeah. Uh, for, I, I knew that song from a, a rap critic. Uh, it was one of his top uh, songs of 2017. Apparently, that video was directed by uh, Joda Hill. Fun fact. I did not know. But he's got a new one. He, his directorial debut as a feature film director is supposed to come out at some point pretty soon called Mid-90s. And it's just a coming-of-age drama, it looks like, set probably during the mid-90s. So, uh, we'll wait to check that out, see how that turns out. Uh, something called Native Son? Uh, based, on a, based on the novel, say, by Richard Wright. Okay, so what's that one? 1940 novel, story of 20-year-old beggar Thomas, African-American youth living in utter poverty in Chicago's South Side. Huh. No American Negro exists, James Baldwin once wrote, who does not have his private Bigger Thomas living in his skull. Oh, Bigger Thomas. Okay. Okay, so this is... Oh, wow. Oh. Well, then. I'll be damned. Wait a minute. In film. Filmed twice. 1951 and 1986. And they're doing it... Um. The first version was made in Argentina. Um, but they're readapting... A, they're adapting a new version of Native Son 
for those who are more familiar with African American literature, uh, directed by Rashid Johnson, who it, uh, included the exhibition of freestyle uh, in at the Studio Museum in Harlem. So it looks like he's an artist mainly. Uh, not familiar with his. Yeah, he's. This looks like. They got a, a, like an actual artist. I think he's a contemporary artist, uh, sort of like painting, photography, film, and sculpture. So Hugo Boss Prize finalist. Uh, so he's going to be directing. It looks like his feature film debut with an adaptation of Native Son coming up uh, in the next couple of years, about, about the next year or so. They haven't announced the release date yet. Uh Anybody else I would recognize from these? Richard Eyre? Doesn't look familiar. And then the Softy Brothers' next film is going to be through A24 as well. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that these guys, these guys focus on. Upcoming talent and want to focus on telling these sort of personal, unique stories. Like Swiss Army Man. Who else but A24 could have released that? I th- it's, it, they have this style about them that they've cultivated through their films. So, uh, looking in, uh, going into, yeah, they made exclusivity deals with DirecTV and Amazon Prime after uh, they started. First release was 2013's A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III by Roman Coppola. Their first su- major success was Spring Breakers. And they began television producing and distribution in uh, 2014 with the um, series Playing House first, uh, which I am not familiar with. Lennon Parham and Jessica St. Clair made for the USA Network. Uh, Mother-to-be Maggie ends her marriage upon discovering her husband's affair with a woman online. She turns to her best friend Emma for support. In order to help Maggie in her time of need, Emma gives her up her successful business in China to return to her hometown of Pinebrook and help her friend raise her newborn baby. Keegan-Michael Key, Zach Woods, Jane Kaczmarek. Ooh, Jane Kaczmarek. Uh, Sadie Martin. Uh, so yeah, that that looks interesting. Uh, created by Lennon Parham and Jessica St. Clair. Uh, so that was their first uh, A24's first um, show. Their other one, their their the one that I really like is the one they followed that up with uh, the the short lived uh, Gerard Carmichael show, the Carmichael show. If you haven't seen that, it 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 tackles a lot of controversies way better. Than that new um, Roseanne show did. Like the Roseanne reboot wanted to play fast and loose with a lot of stuff. Gerard Carmichael was able to write around like really tough subjects while keeping that sort of comedic edge to it. And like the, like some of the let's take a look at some of their episodes. Uh, trying to remember uh, the pro, uh, protesting. Uh, go to they talk about first season. They deal with Black Lives Matter, uh, Big Brother Big Sister sort of thing, um, gun possession, prayer and religion. Everybody cheats. Fallen heroes. Funeral. Perfect storm. Birth control. Seek shelter during a storm. And talking about having children. Uh, gentrifying. Having Muslim neighbors. Like, Gerard, the Carmichael show handled uh, people's prejudices against Muslims way better than Roseanne could. Uh, Ex-con. Talked about uh, criminals and the, and the criminal justice system. 
depression, Facebook, uh, masculinity. Independence forcing them to debate what a child owes their parents and whether or not they are love can be bought. Porn addiction. Oh God, they talked. And then of course, uh, they, their, their finale for season two was about Trump. Yes means yes. Support the troops. Grandma Francis, lesbian wedding. Shoot upable was their most controversial one because it was about the, the mass shootings. Uh, intervention, Evelyn and Vernon. Not sure what the other one's about. Uh, return from a women's rights march. She wants a divorce from her verbally abusive husband. Uh, Maxine's baby sister, Aurora Perrineau, pays a rare visit. Stripper named Caramel Diva. <laughs> and of course, it talked about uh, the stri- you know the you know the merits of being a being in the second sex industry. Uh, their last episode from uh, August of last year was Gold Diggers. Uh, where um, Gerard's brother starts dating an older woman, so he could uh, so he could uh, take advantage of her, uh, her her having money, and of course uh, the merits of who you know who should be the breadwinner in the house. Uh, three year anniversary. Family finds out what ha- about a threesome. Uh, so I, I think I missed season three. I have to go back and check that out. If you haven't already, go check out the the Carmichael show. It is one of the biggest losses in television ever. People should have been watching that instead of Roseanne. It's way, way better. It handled topics way more eloquently. So yeah, that A twenty four uh had a handle in producing that as well. Uh, let's take a look at, um, their other one. It was something I didn't recognize. I think it's for Amazon. Comrade Detective. I know it stars Channing Tatum. Oh, Jordan Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Nick Offerman. Jenny Slate. Jason Mantzoukas. Ooh, Chloe Savigny. Jake Johnson. John DiMaggio. Ooh. Six episodes over on Amazon. I'll have to check this out. Premise follow popular U.S. action comedy films for the 80s. Fictional lost Romanian television show commissioned by the Communist Party to promote the communist worldview. Oh my god, I love this. I need to check this out. Uh, there's going to be a weekend where it's just the, um, where it's just uh, Jurassic World. So I'm going to spend that weekend. Okay, you know what? I'm going to mark these down now so I know, so I remember to talk about them. Things I need to talk about that episode. So, let's see. Uh, where, did it, where is it? I lost it. Uh, Jurassic World. Okay. So, let's mark these down now so I remember. Uh, I need to watch Comrade Detective. I need to catch up on the Carmichael show. And um, there's a couple I need to watch for uh, other stuff. But those are the big ones. I need to catch up on those. So that should cover me for uh, that weekend. So yeah, I need to check this out. This looks right up my alley. All right. Uh, I think that the only real major change to uh, A24 recently was that in March of this year, uh, John Hodges officially left the company. Not in any bad terms, it's all. I mean, if there were any bad terms, it's all rumor and speculation. But for the full, for the most part, everything seems to be amicable. He just 
he got all he needed out of the company and wanted to focus on other things. Uh, as of now, uh, A24 has received a total of 24 Academy Award nominations. Uh, how many wins, though? I saw the nominations. How many wins? Uh, film won Academy Awards for Best Actress, Documentary, and Visual Effects. So that's three. Best Picture for Moonlight and Best Adapted Screenplay and Supporting Actor for Moonlight. So that's six so far. That So it looks like just six then. At least, that, and that's just Academy Awards. Um, it doesn't even say how what their other... Uh, their other award, all the other awards they've accumulated with their films and even their uh, television division. But yeah, and then of course they've got a couple of coming up, uh, something called Moonbase 8 and something for Hulu called Raimi, R-A-M-Y, uh, which is, or Rami? Raimi. By Raimi Youssef, whoever, however you pronounce his name. Um, and it's about first-generation American Muslim on a spiritual journey in its politically divided New Jersey neighborhood. So that looks interesting. Egyptian community thinks life is a moral test in a millennial generation that life has no consequences. It's going to get produced by Gerard Carmichael. So that's good. Uh, I'll wait for. I'll keep my eyes open for that. So yeah, that's the kind of stuff A24 is all about. And of course, I've mentioned some of their big works. Amy, uh, the Amy Winehouse documentary, Ex Machina, Spring Breakers, Green Room, Moon, uh, Moonlight, Swiss Army Man, Florida Project, Lady Bird, Disaster Artist, and this weekend's release, Hereditary. Now, they, you know, not all of their stuff are winners. Tusk, they've had a couple of direct-to-video stuff. Not all of their stuff is all is critically, uh, uh, critically lauded. But they are willing to give chances to a lot of people. Like... Locke is a movie just about Tom Hardy talking to people on the phone in his car. Uh, Tusk is a is a human centipede parody attempt. Uh, Ex Machina deals a lot with uh, AI and human and the and the idea and what makes people human. Um, Room deals a lot. You know, Room is about uh, escaping from captivity and being held against your will. Uh, the the witch is a you know was a dark horror movie set during set during the Puritan era. Green Room deals with Nazis in in a, in a modern setting. Uh, the lot the lobster was a weird one, where apparently you um, what is it? What was the conceit? Film setting: single people are given forty five days to find a romantic partner or otherwise be turned into animals. And so Colin Farrell would be turned into a lobster. If he did not find a, a, a new partner. Uh, is that a Brian De Palma documentary? Uh, yes, it is. So they did that too. Uh, Swiss Army Man, obviously. Uh, the Sea of Trees dealing with the Aokigahara Forest, even though it wasn't as well regarded. Moonlight, a, you know, a black gay character, or at least um, you know, an LGBT character. An, you know, an LGBT character, uh, doesn't specify whether or not he's like bisexual or specifically gay, but you know, dealing with a person of color who is also uh, LGBT sort of thing, you know, queer, gay, however you would define that. But yeah, that you know, they. I'm glad they distributed that. 20th Century Women, which is uh, you know, drama about set during southern 1970s Southern California and based on the director's childhood. 
and deals with, you know, coming of age, coming of age in, you know, in the modern day and feminism and looks like, um, Free Fire is a nice 70s throwback action movie. Uh, it comes at night as a, as a, as a slow burn horror thriller, uh, ghost story where it tells, I, I've heard good things about that. I know people really, really like that one where it's, it talks about, it's a haunted house movie from the ghost point of view. Uh, good time, obviously, um, where it's like a weird, absurdist crime comedy, um, or at least absurdist comedy. Killing of a Sacred Deer was another, I remember that got um, nominated for Best Foreign Language Film, I think. Wait a minute. Killing of a Sacred Deer, no. A cardiac surgeon, Colin Farrell, secretly befriends a teenage boy with a connection to his past and introduces the boy to his family who begins to fall mysteriously ill. Huh. Let's look into that. I was thinking of another deer-related title. Um, Disaster Artist, obviously, the Tommy Wiseau story. Uh, you know, a lot of coming-of-age stuff. They don't shy away from that. Um, Florida, Florida Plogic, obviously, another coming-of-age thing. Um, this year, they've had a bunch of low-budget, like, direct to... Like, really small releases. Vanishing of Sydney Hall... Um, stars Logan Lerman and Elle Fanning. Uh, Sydney Hall, young novelist whose life is depicted in a nonlinear narrative through elliptical flashbacks and flash forwards through three periods of his life. Yeah, DirecTV, so that's another DirecTV thing. Um, last movie star from Adam Rifkin, uh, stars Burt Reynolds. Ooh! Ooh! I'll have to find that. Where's that one? That's another DirecTV. Okay, so a bunch of these 2018 releases are DirecTV releases. So I have to find a way to look into those. Uh, but yeah, that's an, it, it's, um, it's a Burt Reynolds movie about an aging uh, Hollywood star. It features Ariel Winter, Clark Duke, Nikki Blonsky, Chevy Chase is in it. So I'll have to look into that one. I'll have to find out how to get a hold of these DirecTV shows. Um, Lean on Pete, which is a British drama starring... Charlie Plummer, Chloe Sevigny, uh, Travis Fimmel, and Steve Buscemi. Uh, based on the novel, same name by Willie Lawton. Teenage boy living with a single father finds work caring for an aging racehorse named Lean on Pete. When he learns Pete is bound for slaughter, the two embark on an odyssey across the new American frontier in search of a place to call home. I think I saw something uh, advertising that, but I never saw it come to theaters. Backstabbing for Beginners, directed by somebody named Per Fly, uh, Danish... Perfly Plydrup, Plydrup, Uh It's a Danish name, so I can't, uh, I I couldn't tell you how to pronounce it. Um, but film follows Theo James as a young UN worker working at the uh, Oil for Food program as he uncovers a major corruption scandal involving his own boss, played by Ben Kingsley. So that looks interesting. Is that another Directv? Yep, that's another Directv thing. Uh, Perfly is directed Bankin, The Bench, uh, Arvin, The Inheritance, Prop Ogberta, uh, Prop and Berta. So, mostly Danish stuff. Uh, Follow the Money in 2016. That's Danish. Okay, so this is his first real, like, English language film, it looks like. Those tend not to work great. Uh, first Reformed. Ooh, I see. Th- I, I, they've seen them advertising that. That's uh, Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried. And it's a Protestant pastor who begins to question his life choices. Um, so it's like a cr- crisis of... This looks like a crisis of faith, faith film. 
Uh, and that I'm all for. I mean, I loved stuff like um, I love um, Philomena, and I hope it's something along those lines. But it seems to it seems to have gone for a more limited release, so I'll have to keep my eyes out for it on like DVD or streaming or something. And then How to Talk to Girls at Parties by Paul Schrader. No, Paul Schrader is something else. From directed by John Cameron Mitchell. Best known for originating the title role of Hedwig in the Angry Inch. Okay, he's directed the film Short Bus. I, I missed Rabbit Hole. I, they put on that play production in college, and I missed the film version. Um, young N and his best friends stumble upon a bizarre gathering of teenagers who are from another planet, visiting Earth to complete a mysterious rite of passage. Falling madly in love with Zan, a beautiful and rebellious alien who becomes fascinated with him. Huh. Rock. Together they embark on a delirious adventure through the kinetic punk rock world of 1970s London. Elle Fanning, Alex Sharp, Nicole Kidman. A lot of repeat uh, players here. I know Chloe Savigny has been in a couple of stuff. Elle Fanning's been in a bunch of stuff. Nicole Kidman has been in a bunch of stuff. Ooh, based on the short story of the same name by Neil Gaiman. Ooh, I'm not sure. Um, Philip Gosselet is the screenwriter. Um, but I don't know how she is an adapt how she would be adapting to adapting a Neil Gaiman story. He can be very hard to adapt. But yeah, uh, after Hereditary, there's something. There's a another one starring Nicole Kidman, I believe, um, if I'm not mistaken. No, Jessica Chastain. It was Jessica Chastain with uh, Michael Gray Gray Eyes. Michael Gray Eyes. It looked. <laughs> I threw me off a bit. Um, uh, playing Sitting Bull in a story about another. Yet another story about. Um, about uh, Native Americans told from the point of view of, or indigenous people, I guess, yeah, I guess indigenous people is the proper, uh, but yeah, about um, about indigenous people told from the point of view of a white protagonist, because God knows we can't leave Whitey out of it. <sighs> so yeah, um, but that looks like it's already been released on DirecTV Cinema. I'll have to find my access. I'll have to find access to that, because that looks... That look, I'm miss, looks like I'm missing a lot of cool indie stuff through that. But that's uh, going to have a small release this summer. And then 8th Grade is going to be the next wide release, it looks like. Uh, the next slated wide release, which is just another coming-of-age story. Age 24 seemed to be big on coming-of-age stuff. Lady Bird was coming-of-age. Uh, I think their first movie was a coming-of-age movie. Uh, that last one, that... Um, how to talk to girls at party seems to deal with a lot of coming of age themology. So I guess, I mean, Hey, people dig it. It's a big topic in indie cinema. So obviously there's going to be a, you know, a lot of them, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's the kind of stuff a 24 is known for. That's the kind of stuff they've got coming up. So I think called 1% uh, Australian crime film premiered in 2017's Toronto independent film festival, international film festival. No word on a, on uh, here we go. One percent is set within the primal underworld of outlaw motorcycle club gangs. Follows the heir to the throne of a motorcycle club has to betray his president to save his brother's life. Okay, so that's an Aussie film that A twenty four got the rights to. That's supposed to come out at some point. And then Pippa Bianco is going to make a thing. Uh, Dark horror starring Willem Robert Pattinson and Willem once again repeat. Repeat cast members Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. They they seem to have been they seem to be cultivating their own pool of cast uh, that they like to work with. And hey, I'm cool with that. 
I'm cool with that because they're they pick good people. They've also got something called The Last Black Man in San Francisco by Joe Talbot coming out. Uh, starring Danny Glover, Jimmy Fails, Jonathan Majors, Rob Morgan, Mike Epps, Thora Birch. Uh, let me see about IMDb with a young man with a big dream and a quirky best friend searches for home in the changing city that seemed to have left him behind. And then Joe Talbot, for those who aren't familiar, uh, fifth generation San Franciscan whose emerging body of work, American Paradise, was his, was, was, la- was his first movie last year. So, Last Black Man in San Francisco is going to be his next one whenever it gets released. Uh, Forgotten Man in Trump's America attempts to shift his fate with the perfect crime, inspired by true events. So, I'll have to look in. I'll see about that. Um, see how that turns out, leading into um, whatever uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco comes out. But he's another, he's another one that, that's, that's a young up-and-comer making new movies. Ari Aster's next project is going to be through them that's already been announced. And then Gaspar Noé, uh, Argentine filmmaker who lived in France, uh, Enter the Void. Oh, my God. Did he do the... Oh, my God. It's the guy behind Irreversible. Irreversible. How are you pronounced Irreversible in French? Uh, the, the, you know, the, the movie where the Monica Bellucci and the, 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 you know, the, the rape scene, but, um, Irreversible is the one where it's all told backwards. Uh, oh my God. His next movie is going to be through, um, A24. Centers around a troop of hip hop dancers experiencing a bad trip after accidentally ingesting psychedelics. Ooh. Oh my God. Listen to this poster. Listen to this poster. Okay. You despised I Stand Alone. You hated Irreversible. You loathed Enter the Void. You cursed love. Now try Climax, my new film. Uh, Sofia Butella is the star. So I'm, I'm, I'm into this. I'll have to go on a Gaspar Noé um, uh, deep dive at some point. Because uh, all of his... Uh, I Stand Alone. What's, what's that one? I know Irreversible. Um... Uh, art film, history of the butcher doesn't have any other name narrated through voiceover and montage. Still photograph. French foreign film doesn't lit. Uh, Wikipedia doesn't list a short summary. Let's go to IMDb. Uh, Horse meat butcher's life and mind begins to break down as he lashes out against various factions of society while attempting to reconnect with his strange daughter. Uh, and then, of course, enter the void is. Uh, French drug dealer living in Tokyo is betrayed by his best friend and killed in a drug deal. Soul observing the repercussions of his death seeks resurrection. Uh, besides, okay, cool. Um, Irreversible, I know. Love is Murphy is an American living in Paris who enters a highly sexual and emotionally charged relationship with the unstable Electra. Unaware of the effect it will have on their relationship, they invite their pretty neighbor into their bed. And that's starring Aomi Muyak. Moyak, M-U-Y-O-C-K, is Electra. And then Carl Glussman, Clara Kristen, and then Gaspar Noé appears in it uh, in a little self-insert character or something. Uh, so that looks interesting. Uh, so yeah, I'll have to go on a Gaspar Noé. But once again, he's, uh, A24 likes to, and likes to bring in these well-regarded um, uh, indie directors. Their, one of their first successes was, was Harmony Corinne, of all people. So they have no problem 
First Reformed was by Paul Schrader. That's what it was. And then Paul Schrader was the guy who co-wrote Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Last Temptation of Christ, and something called Bringing Up the Dead, which I haven't seen. So Paul Schrader is the guy behind First Reformed. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm on a kick now. I'm into this. So I'm going to have to go on a deep dive at some point with all these films. Um, but, I, but I went on on a tangent. Uh... The whole, th- the only thing I want to, the only thing, other thing I want to comment on is the reason A twenty four works is that it focuses on allowing creative directors to utilize, to either bring forth, to either emphasize their creative stuff and allow them to make whether it's producing or through distribution to sort of give a voice to these directors that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise, and there you can see that these directors like coming back. To making movies for A24. You know. The Softy Brothers are making a movie. Through them again. And guess they bring Ari Aster's next movie is going to be with them. And then. You know. They've brought in people like James Franco. Greta Gerwig. Uh, like the aforementioned. Uh, Gaspar Noe. Uh, Gus Van Sant. Harmony Corinne. The Coppola's. So. Uh, most of these people are probably you probably never heard of, like uh, James Franco, Kevin Smith, Greta Gerwig, and the Coppolas are probably the biggest names you would know as directors. Maybe Gus Van Sant and Har- and and uh, Gaspar Noé, if you are into like art, art indie cinema and art films. But yeah, these A twenty four likes to emphasize, and of course not, they're working with Gerard over in the TV end, so. A twenty four has sort of cultivated this this indie scene around them in order to give voices to these newcomers and to these old veterans, even when as a distribution center for them, and you know it allows them to have films that would probably never otherwise never be seen by the public. And I think it doesn't help that unfortunately they make a lot of stuff for Directv. So unless you have DirecTV and you have that channel, uh, that pay-per-view channel available to you, there's no way to see it, see some of that stuff that A24 is making. And I feel like that's the biggest detriment to them is that they're making essentially something for a wannabe Netflix. Like if they had a distribution center through Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, a big name, they could get way more people to check it out. But I think because they're relying on DirecTV to distribute a bunch of their films... They're missing out on a lot of uh, opportunities. Although maybe they like the op- maybe they like emphasi- working with DirecTV. What do I know? I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not on the creative side. But yeah, they want to make. St- they want to focus on smaller, but ten million dollar budget is kind of their sweet spot. A lot of their films are in the tens or the teens. Uh, if they're not all low, low budget, like five million dollar stuff. So they focus on that. I'll then, of course, like I mentioned, the whole reason for their existence is to cre- is to use social media. So if you follow them on like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, they'll be using utilizing the social media platforms out there to sell their movies, and that's how a lot of people would come to know these things exist. That's how I've come to know like the. F- that's how I know um, uh, what's it called? First Reformed. First Reformed, uh, that's how I knew that exists. And then the, the one coming up this year, Never Going Back, the debut by Augustine Frizzell. Frizzell? Frizzell. It's two Z's, two L's. Uh, 
but it's an, it's another coming of age story, but it centers on two uh, two teenage girls. So I wouldn't know that was coming up if not for following them on social media. So that's where their big thing is. Their big pushes come from social media. And that's kind of the whole point is that they understood that social media is going to be a big platform and they should utilize it. But at the same time, they, they, that, uh, that problem is that creative marketing is cool. But it's not getting all of the butts in the seats. And especially since a lot of people won't know that they have to go to like DirecTV to see some of these movies. How are they going to know to find, what, find them when they come out? So I think they have a great idea going for them, but they don't, they're not optimized yet for it. And of course they're starting to see competition. Their biggest competition came from Neon, which was founded last year and saw immediate success with movies like Colossal, Ingrid Goes West, and I, Tanya. So within their first year, Neon got their own Oscar wins under their belt. So, so A24 is starting to see competition. Not to mention that Neon, I think, just partnered with Blumhouse Tilt. So Neon is working with Blumhouse, who is another small-budget indie film house, film studio. So it looks... So they so A24, if they want to keep up, they have to find a way to, to get more people to recognize that they sh- should come work with them. And it's not just the creative marketing. They also have to, you know, the marketing won't get them everywhere if, the, if people aren't going, if don't have access to these movies. And I think the, the binding deal with DirecTV is almost holding them back. I would much rather see them make less movies if they could release them all to theaters or m- maybe some of them direct to video than to have them strictly bound to a service that maybe I don't even want. I'd have to do like a weekly te- week test to see if I, if I liked it or not. But yeah, I think having being stuck with DirecTV is like having a ball and chain around them. But that's just me. So yeah, they've got competition coming up and they're going to have to step it up. But like I said, they've got some good things coming up. The Bo Burnham movie, 8th grade, uh, the biodrama about Sitting Bull... It's coming to DirecTV. Never Going Back should be coming to theaters. A Prayer Before Dawn uh, is supposed to be coming to theaters. That's the one where it's a, 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 a British guy goes to a Thai prison. Uh, I, that's another one where I'm like, did we really need the white guy there? Couldn't we have just, like, stuck another... Couldn't we have just made it a foreign language film and had the Thai, have it be about a Thai gangster or something? Maybe a Singaporean gangster? I don't know. Does it have to be a white? Does it have to be a white guy? Do, Whitey doesn't need to be there. Damn it! Sometimes it's okay to, for Whitey not to be there. That's all. And then the last one this year is going to be Under the Silver Lake, which is a neo noir dramedy. Uh, it's a it's a sort of dark comedy sort of thing. It looks like starred Andrew Garfield, and it's from the director of It Follows. Once again, they keep getting these peop- these directors who people love. So A24 is doing something right because they're bringing in these guys that make well-regarded movies to make movies for them. So I'm interested to see that one because it looks weird and, and right up my alley. Uh, the basic premise is um, uh, Andrew Garfield fi- falls in love with Riley Coe, uh, who is best known from uh, Mad Max Fury Road as one of the uh, daughters. Um, I forget which, uh, which wife. Uh, not daughter's wife. Uh, which wife she was in Fury Road? Um, 
Which wife was she in Fury Road? That's kind of where I got to know her. Capable. Yeah, so I, I, unfortunately, with Mad Max Fury Road, uh, the wise sort of all... Like, I recognized them as the redhead, uh, the pregnant one, the brunette, the blonde, and Zoe Kravitz. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, that's, that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, I like Riley Coe. She's also appeared in, uh, since then, she was in American Honey, another A24 movie. And also, It Comes at Night. Uh, but her last thing that I remember her from was Logan Lucky, where she was the love interest for um, Channing Tatum, I believe. And, yeah, she's going to be in Under the Silver Lake as sort of the love interest that goes missing and Andrew Garfield has to find with Topher Grace. He's going to be in this. Um, Ricky Lindholm is going to be in here as a, in a supporting role. Grace Van Patten is going to have a small bit. Uh, those are the, everyone, nobody, I don't recognize anybody else. They seem to be... Uh, uh, supporting, you know, like supporting actors, small time, uh, act, you know, unknowns, so to speak. But yeah, I, uh, I'm excited for the rest of the slate for uh, for H24. And like I said, I wish that they didn't have to be beholden to that Directv contract. I feel like if they just had Amazon, if they just partnered with Amazon, those movies would get much more play than with Directv. Directv feels so small potatoes in terms of streaming but that's just me uh maybe it may hey if you're listening to this and you you and direct tv is your go-to for streaming let me know because on until the i didn't even realize that was a thing until researching this episode and then listening to now playing when they were talking about how leatherface only premiered through direct tv cinema so yeah well that about does it for this week. So yeah, A24. It's still one of my favorites. Even though it's not perfect, but I like what they do. I love what they do, and I and I wish them nothing but the best. But uh, that being said, let's, uh, let's cut over to the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. Now last weekend was a little bit of a lackluster debut. That one... For those who don't remember, saw a drift, uh, upgrade, and a, and um, action point premiere, and and already a bunch of that uh, uh, action point is already dropped out of the top ten, and upgrade is just about to drop out. But yeah, it, it last weekend was a bit of a bust. However, this weekend is much much more of a shakeup. So let's get into it. First up, uh, I'll get into the other premiere, but. Only two of the premieres uh, showed up in the top seven. So we took, if we look at the top seven, last week's number five dropped down to number seven, and that was Book Club. So Book Club brought in $4.2 million, which brings up their domestic gross to $56 million. No, no word on a foreign release. And from what I hear, it's like $20 million. So this is well earned back its money. And it reminds you, and it's a good reminder that, hey, that momsploitation crowd is out there, and they love this stuff. So it makes sense to always have something like that available for them. Next up, last week's number three dropped down to number six. With $5 million is Adrift. And that brings up its foreign gross, uh, well, domestic gross, to $21.7 million. And the foreign gross is still not even over a million. It's still in the thousands. It's hundreds of thousands, but it's not quite over a million yet. And that means 
even after two weeks, it's still a flop. It hasn't even raked in enough to earn back its budget. So Adrift is consider- is going to be one of those big flop dramas of the year. And with good reason because it's it's it should be le- it should be left to float adrift at sea and be forgotten like the garbage flow that nobody wants to take hold of. Uh last week's number 4 dropped down to number 5 and that's Infinity War, bringing in 6.8 million dollars this weekend, bringing the domestic gross to 654 million. And the foreign and with combined with the foreign total, this movie is going to break two billion dollars. Globally, this movie is going to break its one point nine nine eight million dollars. Two million more dollars this weekend. This movie would have grossed over two billion. I'm just excited. I love it. I love this. Uh, so that means, uh, adjusted for inflation, uh, what is the, what is the Marvel adjusted for inflation worldwide? Uh, come on, give me adjusted for inflation, box office mojo. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go to the numbers, aren't I? Here. Frickin'. Numbers also does the box office report. Um, so Avengers Infinity War. Uh, we want... We want uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we want Adjusted for Inflation. Can we organize these by... Box office adjusted for inflation, or can we not? Um, do they not adjust for inflation? Theatrical performance, worldwide box office, further financial details. Through research for more information, please contact at... I'm going to do my own inflation, aren't I? Hold on. Avengers box office inflation. Okay, here we go. That's domestic grosses, damn it. I don't want that. I want four, I want global box office grosses adjusted for inflation. I guess they don't. Maybe you don't adjust foreign films for inflation. I don't know, but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, looks. I mean, whether or not you adjust for inflation for uh, uh, for the first Avengers, it looks like Infinity War passed the first Avengers in the in the global box office because the last event, the the first Avengers brought in one point five million, and cl- totally Infinity War brought in. Almost two billion. I misspoke. One point five billion. So yeah, Avengers: Infinity War seems to be, um, seems to be uh the biggest one of the biggest opening. Uh, here we go. All time worldwide number four. All time domestic number five. Thirty five adjusted for inflation. So all time domestic. It's still not. It's still behind Black Panther. Uh. And nobody has yet to beat 
Star Wars The Force Awakens domestically, uh, unadjusted for inflation. Uh, adjusted for inflation, nobody's going to be gone with the wind. That's $1.8 billion adjusted for inflation. So that's the kind of stuff that, uh, that, uh, the, that, um, the Force Awakens, you know, that you would have to beat. Adjusted for inflation, the Force Awakens couldn't even beat Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which, which was just under a billion dollars. Was it just under a trillion? No, wait. Yeah, a billion dollars domestically. So, yeah, it's... But, yeah, this is going to go... This is in the top five, uh, unadjusted for inflation, and it's right behind... And it's the number one in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe right now. So, ten years pays off in dividends. Now, if only DC could do something like this. Uh, Anyway, number four is one of our new releases, A24's Hereditary, which, like I said, had a $10 million budget, brought in its opening weekend $13 million. So it's already made back its budget. If it can make $7 million over the rest of the run, it can start, it can can make back its, um, it can make back its, uh, its marketing as well, and then it can start making a profit. So it's not doing great, but it's doing well. It's actually the highest ranking of the uh, rele- the releases from this year's Sundance that got distributed wide. Uh, the other ones being uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary, something called Beast, which I've been seeing in um, in my uh, movie pass being advertised. No idea what it's about. Um, American Animals, which is another one that I've been seeing advertised. Uh, a Revenge from Neon. Once again, Neon. Rearing its ugly head. Uh, that one seems to be uh, some kind of post-apocalyptic thing, maybe? I don't know. Um, and then uh, the lowest earning so far from this year's Sundance is Hearts Beat Loud. So we'll see what else from this year's Sundance. Right now, Hereditary is the highest grossing of those. But we'll see what else comes out this year. Uh so yeah, like I said, Hereditary is solid. You know, if this is if you're into twisted, dark, twisted horror, this is right up your alley. Uh, last week's number two is number three with Deadpool two bringing in thirteen point six million, bringing its domestic total to two hundred seventy eight million, and its worldwide total to six hundred and fifty five million. Deadpool two is more than made up its its budget domestically and everything else was made up in the foreign markets people are still in the deadpool deadpool 3 is almost guaranteed unless disney kills it after buying out the fox ips we'll see speaking of disney uh their star wars movie dropped down from number one uh only brought in 15 million dollars this weekend bringing its domestic total to 176 million and its worldwide total three to up to 312 million it's finally Starting to, it's finally earned back its budget. That still makes this a flop. This is still considered one of the lowest performing Star Wars movies. So overall, the uh, lowest performing of Star Wars with Disney uh, since the Disney buyout, and the lowest performing. It's all. It's right in the top. It's in the bottom of the top ten. The only movie that did worse than this is Star Wars The Clone Wars, the animated movie that was basically the pilot for the animated Clone Wars series. It's the only movie, other than the re-releases, The Clone Wars is the only other lowest performing Star Wars movie. So, 
Solo did better than that. But Solo also couldn't beat Adjusted for Inflation, the the special edition re-releases. So, yeah, this movie this movie couldn't even outdo the you know any of the pre like the lowest performing of the prequels, which was Attack of the Clones. So yeah, this this movie is 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 probably one of the biggest bombs since Disney bought Star Wars. And I'm okay with that because I'm not a big fan of it. I don't think we needed this movie. I think if we do if we had done a, if they had done a different story, maybe the Lord and Miller version of Star Wars of Solo would have been fine. We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, Solo was what did not meet expectations, and it wasn't worth seeing. Uh, and that's the thing. In order to get these big numbers, you have to have repeat viewers, and Solo is not getting those repeat viewers. It that got its big push opening weekend, and people, and there aren't enough people going back to see it, especially when the new hotness is in. This week's number one, Ocean's Eight. Premiered at number one with $41.5 million. Almost said billion. Um, and yet, the movie, it's, and, and combined with its total, uh, with the foreign markets, it made $53.7 million this weekend. It cost 70 to make. So this movie is already behind. I, it, 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 it might be able to make up the budget next weekend, but with Jurassic World and the rest of the summer coming out, Ocean's 8 had one weekend to try and make back its money. And I think, peop- and I think the problem is they're going to blame it on the female-led cast and not the fact that people are sick of the Ocean's movies. So, I don't know. I think hopefully more female-led casts can make up box office money. Because otherwise, people are going to rely on A Wrinkle in Time and Ocean's 8 as, like, proof that women can't sell movies. So, yeah, poor Ocean's 8 just couldn't, it it couldn't run the gamut. It's the lowest performing of the Ocean's franchise. Um, Ocean's 13 premiered the lowest. Uh, Although, no, actually, opening weekend, it premiered the highest unless you adjust for inflation. So, Ocean's 13, uh, opening weekend, adjusted for inflation. So, actually, if you would, unless you adjust for inflation, this movie premiered higher than the other Ocean's movies. But how much did Ocean's 11 cost? 85 million. They made, okay, so that's the thing. These movies cost about that much to make, but they all saw diminishing returns. Ocean's 13, it could easily, if it made enough money, Ocean's 8 might be able to pass Ocean's 13. Uh, What's coming out next weekend? The Incredibles 2. So if more, if enough people, especially in the foreign markets, come out to see Ocean's 8, it might be able to surpass 13 unless you adjust it for inflation. But yeah, you saw immediate, uh, drop in return for this franchise. 12 couldn't make enough of it as 11. 13 couldn't make enough, couldn't make up as much as 12. And 8 eight is struggling even though it's already opened higher than the other three movies. But I think, I don't know, we'll have to wait and see if those repeat customers come back. 
because that's what drove Ocean's Eleven over. But I don't know if Ocean's Eight can carry that since it's just, you know, just another entry in this franchise. And then our poor little buddy premiered, only premiered in the uh, number eight, Hotel Artemis, came in with $3.1 million and had a budget of, can I get it at Wikipedia? $15 million. This is another bomb, sadly. And I think that's the problem is that it couldn't, it, 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 it wasn't outrageous enough it couldn't get out of John Wick's shadow, and its fifteen million dollar budget couldn't be beat. Could only you know this and Action Point are proof that even though your budget's low, you still need to attract ju- enough uh, enough people to to make it back. And these two couldn't, and it's a sad shame because I actually liked them, but the audience has spoken, and they're not into these films. Maybe I'll find an audience on video, but. For right now, it, they couldn't ha- they couldn't shake it, and it's a shame. But that's that. That's the way the popcorn crumbles. And before we uh, clock things out, we'll end this episode with our usual trailer talk. I do not know if I want to add a uh, bumper music to that. I did one for a box office report. You know what I may. If you have any, if you would like to hear a uh, trailer talk bumper, let me know and send a message to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com or leave it in the comments on the website or something. But if you want to, if you would like to, if you would like to uh, have that bumper music for a trailer talk to kind of lead us into that, I would be happy to come up with something. But uh, for right now, uh, let's just uh, head right into it. Upcoming, like I said, up next. We've got three movies, one premiering on Wednesday, the other two on Friday. Uh, I'll, the, the, since the Wednesday release is kind of the, la- is kind of the smallest of them, uh, I'll go with that last. But the two big releases are going to be the long-awaited Incredibles 2 and Tag, the surprise comedy out of frickin' nowhere, quote-unquote based on a true story. But we're going to look into it. So first, and then of course, the remake of Superfly is the one opening on Wednesday. Probably trying to get in ahead smartly of Incredibles 2. So it's going to have a it's going to have a 5-day weekend box office while Incredibles is only going to have the 3. So we'll see how that helps it if it helps at all. So let's but first let's take a look at that Incredibles 2 trailer. Did you wash your hands with soap? Did you dry them? What? Is this all vegetables? Who wanted all vegetables? I did. So, are we going to talk about it? What? The (laughs) elephant in the room. What elephant? (laughs) Mom's new job. It's time to make some wrong things right. Bob, uh, love that they brought in Bob Odekirk. Super's back into the sunlight. We need to change people's perceptions about superheroes. And Elastigirl is our best play. Better than me? <clears throat> Whoa! I like Mom's new job! Bye, sweetie. I'll watch the kids, no problem. From Disney Pixar. Not the way you're supposed to 
supposed to do it, Dad. They want us to do it. Oh, my mom's had this dog with my nephew. Hello? Hey, honey. How are the kids? Everything's great. Is she having adolescence? And Jack Jack? She's in excellent health. What the? Num num cooking. Cooking. Okay, that is freaky. Oh, I love, I love this. To help my family, I gotta leave it. To fix the law, I gotta break it. You've got to, so our kids can have that choice. Thank you, young man. It's time to get back to being incredible. Combustion imminent? What does that mean? It means fire, Robert. Green Slater interrupts this program for an important announcement. Suit up. It might get weird. I'll be there ASAP. Where you going ASAP? You better be back ASAP. Uh, not quite um, the the classic, like, where is my super suit? Uh, you know, not that classic fight, but uh, I'm still down for this. I think my only concern is that uh, Brad Bird's last movie was kind of a disappointment, so I don't know if returning to The Incredibles will help. But it looks it looks like more of that first movie, which is what we all wanted. So I'm down for it. Um, and uh, it, 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 Brad Bird made the smart decision not to make it like 10 years later. He wanted to follow it directly after the events of the first movie. So it's actually kind of technically a period piece since it's probably taking back... Uh, still taking place in the mid-2000s. But it's still got that retro-futurism behind it that Brad Bird used, you like to use. Um, I My only concern is that I I almost I almost worry that he's going to make a commentary that, oh, dads shouldn't be at home raising the kids. It should be a mom's job. That's my only concern. Although there's also the... Um, the whole wor- my other worry that the screen slaver is going to be a yet another hackneyed attempt to say, "Oh, you shouldn't be on your phone so much. We're a slave to our screens." And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard this before. Like we get it, old man. Things were better back in your day. So that's my only. Those are my only concerns. That somehow Brad Bird will make some weird commentary on who wears the pants in the family. And that, um, and that, uh, the screen slaver villain is gonna end up being some hackneyed commentary on, on, uh, people staring at their phones all day. Because, God knows, we haven't had enough of that. Do you get it? You shouldn't stare at your phone all the time. Thanks, Grandma Hollywood! All right. I hate that argument so much. And I'm seeing kids my pe- kids. I'm in my I'm pushing 30. I'm seeing guys my people my age make that argument. You know, millennials who grew up with these phones. God forbid we acknowledge the pa- the you know that these things are the new now. It's the same people who said, "Oh, people shouldn't read their newspapers on the bus. It it keeps us from talking to each other." We've had this argument all the time. The new hotness comes along, and everyone says, oh, things were better back in my day, and 
Yeah, and yeah, they were better because you were younger. Time has progressed. Let the kids have their their doodads and their new thing. It's not hurting anybody. <sighs> Sorry, I just I'm sick of that argument. I'm sick of that hackneyed argument that we're all slaves to the screen. It's like the whole thing with like um, Katy Perry song about how we're slaves to the rhythm. It's like, yeah, because you're making these pops. These you can't just you can't say that this is that pop songs are trash when you're part of the problem. What did you just take the red pill and you realize that pop songs are all shallow nonsense? What did you think you've been making for the last half a decade? Yeah, I, 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 I have a high, to, I don't have, I have a low tolerance for uh, other people's BS. So uh, anyway, let's talk about something fun, something shallow and fun. Couple of grown ass men playing tag. Let's take a look at that trailer. Susan, you take Jerry to be your husband. What's the difference between Episcopalian and Luther? Love this cast. Don't eat fish. That's pescatarian. That's not a religion. Hey, Jake Johnson of uh, Comrade Detective over on uh, Amazon from A24. Love this cast. Jeremy Renner, John Hamm, Ed Helms, Jake Johnson, Hannibal Burris. What's going on here? Our group of friends has been playing. Isla Fisher. Uh, what? Um, Rashida Jones. Leslie. I think not Leslie Mayer. Who's the other? Uh, who is the other wife in this? Our buddy Jerry is the best that ever played. Now he wants to retire. Never been tagged. Just saying. Who's it? Can't touch this. Ah. Can't touch this. Synchronize your watches. I don't know how to do that. I don't wear a watch. Time is a construct. (laughs) (laughs) Some couples go on cruises. Some couples go camping. Some couples go to strip clubs and have gangbangs. And this is just what we love. This is our gangbang. Wow. This year. The game has really kept you guys connected. Leslie Bibb, not Leslie Mann. Leslie Mann's, I think, um, uh, what's his name's wife? Uh, this game has given us a reason to be in each other's lives. I think your dad would have really wanted you to be. Yeah. <laughs> Never get old. Eat my, Eat my dick. dick. Balls. But ice cream. What? He knows I'm lactose intolerant. He's taunting me. Yeah, Leslie Bibb. I love this. I'm I'm all about this. I cannot wait for that for this weekend. It's gonna be fun. Um And then our last one and first one to come out this week is the remake of the classic 70s black exploitation movie Superfly. This time with um this time by based in Atlanta and by music video director Director X. Let's get into it. You literally could have taken any kid off the corner. But you chose me. Why? These fools in the streets acting like they got something to prove. They only want to hustle for the money and the flash. Not you. You're special. Welcome to Atlanta. You've got everything you could ever want. Culture, style, 
And of course, music. But if you look deeper, there's a whole other side you've never seen before. Welcome to my world. I've been working these streets since I was 11. Gave people jobs when there were no jobs. I swapped cash for crypto. Ooh, that's a nice update. I choose my crew wisely. Scatter, that's my mentor. I know that you miss your favorite student. I miss kicking your ass. Georgia, she's my inspiration. You can be whatever you want to be. And Eddie, that's my soul. Everything is moving smooth like butter. Appreciate little genius. You've been operating under the radar. All of that's about to change. Oh, he he does martial arts. I love it. Call an ambulance. You take it to the hospital. From acclaimed filmmaker, director X. Now they're being pushed down. And the producer of the Matrix trilogy. They have cartel connections. And they're coming after everything we have and everyone we love. What's the play here? A lot of white guns. I don't even know if they make make that sort of like casing for guns that they're all in white. But we have to go to the source. Like I'm more familiar with black metal and gray metal. Never was. June fifteenth. Abandon our business. That's unacceptable. Who will protect? Who will you trust? Oh, who will you protect? Yeah. Who will survive? Come on, let's take a drive. Superfly. Screenplay by Alec T. Official soundtrack produced by Future. So, like how um, uh, Kendrick Lamar produced the Black Panther soundtrack, um, they're doing the same thing with Atlanta rapper Future producing the Superfly soundtrack, which makes sense because that was the whole conceit behind the original Superfly, which I'm going to review, watch ahead of this review. Uh, the idea being that it was a drug dealer who got into, um, the music scene, I believe based out of Harlem. Uh, let me double check that. Uh, ba -ba -ba. 1972 film. Here we go. Best known for a soundtrack written and produced by soul musician Curtis Mayfield. Yeah. Um, young blood priest, drug dealer, specialized in selling cocaine, luxurious lifestyle in Harlem. Uh, learns to leave the life and go straight. I think he wanted to get into the music, right? Ba, ba, ba. Popular restaurant initially refuses to help. Ba, 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 ba. Uh, but yeah, the whole idea is that it's a drug dealer wanting to get out of the get out of get out of uh, crime and and get into and have a straight life to lead the straight and narrow. And uh, and it seems like they're switching the drug business. To cryptocurrency and a lot of more modern stuff along so that coincides with the drug drug business, and that's and then of course these new cats come in and you know try to take take over with like a bloody coup. It looks like I'm down for this. I'm interested to do, I'm my my black exploitation um, 
repertoire and knowledge of it is sorely lacking. So I need to go in and revisit some of these stuff. And I'm hoping that we get some more remakes like this. One, because Blaxploitation was a great outlet for African-American filmmakers and actors and creators. And I'm hoping if we, by remaking some of those classics or re- tying into some of those classics, we can have more black cinema that's, that's worth a damn out there. And I'm down with this. I'm okay with this as long as it's good. Hey, as long as it's good, who cares? That's, all, that's what's important. And that's what's coming up next week. And that's about all I got, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you are most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to like, uh, to favorite that homepage and check it out on there. Or if you want to use your various uh, podcast devices and listening apps, you can find us. We're available through iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, your various third-party apps. I use Overcast. I've used Downcast before. Um, we should be available on iHeartMedia as well, the iHeartRadio app. So wherever, however you listen to podcasts, we should be there. And if we're not, we can always expand. So if we're not on your particular uh, podcasting app, let us, let us know and we can add ourselves to it. But as long as you're if you long as you see my orange mug chopping on popcorn and staring at the movies and we're over a hundred episodes, you're good. Uh, but be sure to uh, leave a five star rating and review and uh, let people know that you like this show and that they should check it out as well. And then if you want to share share us on your various social media platforms, we're all around. We're all about on social media. Like a twenty four, this podcast was designed to be shareable on social media. I'm on Facebook.com slash Popcorn Junkie for all the main stuff, all the big announcements. Um, we're on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod for all the minute, for the main feed, plus the trailer talk segments before a new release, and the Munch Along segment for when I'm watching a movie and want to share my experience with you. Um, as well, I'm also much more active on Twitter, so if you want to keep in touch with me there, you can you can ha- we can have we can talk about movies. Uh, that's at Corn Junkie Pod on Twitter. I'm on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. That's where a lot of the Facebook feed comes from. I'm still trying to find new stuff to do there. But if you want to keep, but if you want to follow us there, you can be sure to do that. Popcorn Junkie Podcast on Instagram, and then of course you can follow me and hear my reviews firsthand through the Stardust app. If you download the Stardust app and look up Popcorn Junkie, you can see my reaction as soon as I see a new release or as soon as I see something for the podcast, and you can. Get a preview of what's to come, what my thoughts will be on the next episode. So download the Stardust app and check out some of the other fine people there. Uh, Corey Coleman and the Double Toasted crew are there. Um, the Smoes Nose guys are there. The other internet's John Bailey with an I is there. Other epic voice guy. He has the most creative reviews you've ever seen on Stardust. Follow, download Stardust, if nothing else, to follow me and epic voice guy because he does impressions. He does he does the, the film trailer voice. He gives honest reviews. He, he gets into the hype. He has the thumbnail poses. He, he John Bailey over uh, the epic voice John Bailey has fully optimized Stardust. He know, he gets the platform and you gotta check him out. So download the Stardust app, follow me. And fo- follow Epic Voice Guy because he's amazing. 
and follow, find some new creators. Maybe there's some other people leaving reviews that you like as well. Hey, maybe you want to leave your own reactions. I'd love to see, if you want me to see your reactions to stuff, you can, you can do, you know, follow me and let me know that you found me through the podcast and you, and you have your own reactions as well. So follow, find me there on Stardust. I'm at Popcorn Junkie. It's a, we're having a lot of fun over there. Uh, no Twitch streams yet. Uh, I'm still working on finding on making that viable. I really want to get the backlog edited down for a YouTube channel before I get started again. And as soon as that's done, I will let you guys know that when it's back up and running. But uh, if there's anything else you want to say, any kind of feedback you want to give, any kind of uh, corrections I should make, if there's if you want to give your thoughts on the movies I reviewed. And you have a dissenting opinion. Maybe you didn't like, uh, maybe you hated Hotel Artemis and Hereditary. Maybe you were really into Ocean's 8. Maybe you hated Ocean's 8. You know, whatever your thoughts on the movies that I talked about, let me know. And hey, I would love to share your thoughts with the, with the rest of the audience. So if you have anything to say at all, send that to me at popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. And I will get back to you. And if you want, I can always share your thoughts on the podcast. That about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and it looks like I've got a lot of catching up to do. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. So be sure to like, favorite, uh, like, favorite, and subscribe. Like it's a YouTube channel.